0: Please turn to Micah, chapter 3. Again, Micah, chapter 3. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people. And their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces, and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace. When they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you, without vision and darkness to you, without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with the power, with the Spirit of the Lord." And with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood, and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yes, they lean on the Lord and say... Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you this evening for your word. We thank you this evening that we can gather and close out the day, Lord, worshiping you. We pray as we hear your word spoken, as we hear your word preached, Lord, will you open up our hearts to receive it? Will you open our hearts to receive your truth, Lord, that we will walk out as your children, Lord, that we will walk out, Lord, ready to take on the week of work, ready to take on the week in which we have our responsibilities and tasks. Lord, remind us this evening, Lord, that we come here for you and you alone. Lord, we lift this time up to you and thank you. Amen. If I bring up the words justice, injustice, exploitation, oppression, these are terms that we hear often now on social media. We hear it on radios, TV. We see billboards and T-shirts. It's all around us. It's the topic of the day. It's what everyone is talking about. It's what everyone is dealing with. And as this is being talked about, the reality is that as this is talked about, there has become a politicization of the problem of injustice and oppression. Maybe even you, as you hear those words, it often leads to two initial responses. One response of zeal as one seeks some form of social justice for the hurting and the oppressed. They are running out there and seeking the welfare of those who are hurt. And yet we have another side and another reaction, one in which maybe they're a bit more cautious when they hear these terms, one in which at times excuses can be made, qualifications can be made about what is being brought up, and even at times denied outrightly as well too. But here's the reality that both sides fail. Both sides fail when they talk about injustice. Both sides fail When they talk about oppression, what has often occurred is just a focus upon the horizontal reality, but not even the horizontal reality from a scriptural standpoint, but they have allowed their political standpoint, they've allowed their philosophical standpoint to run and have us think this is what justice is, this is what injustice is, this is what it means to be oppressed, and this is how we are to deal with it. And so these two sides, what they do is they take their claims and they just beat each other over the heads. But what we must see is that there is both this horizontal reality and this vertical reality as we think about injustice and oppression. The truth is that Micah's prophecy here in Micah 3 begins the second cycle. The second cycle of prophecy, he begins with three prophecies of Judgment but we must not read these things in such a way that we look to it as our manifesto to take down the man, to be zealous social justice warriors, and yet at the same time, we cannot ignore the reality that Micah is calling for the churches to be responsible and to care for the poor, to care for the hurting, to care for the weak and most vulnerable at the same time. Micah's concern in the midst of this, as we look at the context uh, in the midst of this injustice, not, he's not calling out the world. He's actually calling out a very specific group of people, the people of God. His concern was when the people of God began to look more like the world instead of kingdom citizens as they think and as they work and as they deal with injustice that exists all around them. That is Micah's concern. And my goal for us and my goal for this sermon today, I pray and I hope We will have a better idea of at least what Micah brings before us in the way we are to think of injustice, the way we are to think of oppression, both in its horizontal and its vertical aspect as he denounces these exploiters before us. In Micah's first point here, in his first denouncement, he denounces the rulers. God demands that his people care about justice. The first group that Micah goes after are these rulers. These were the officials of the kings who were to judge over the affairs of the cities and towns. These were literally the deciders for what is right and what is wrong. They were to plead, they were to hear the cases set before them, and they were to judge in a way that represented God's holiness, that represented God's laws. This is why Micah asked these men Do you know justice? The ruler above all people should know what justice constitutes. Not just knowing the law well, but that this law should operate within his heart. That this is who he is, that whenever a case is brought before him, he judges impartially. He doesn't look at the person, but he judges according to God's law, that it just comes from him. It's who he is. It's how he acts. These rulers were not called to speculate how they were to judge. They're not to called to speculate on their own ethics and to create their own ethics. Rather, they were to act and decide according to the law of God. They were to decide according to an ethics that was biblical. They were to uphold a justice that honored God, to love that which was good and to abhor that which was evil. This was these rulers' job. But what we see in these rulers' They acted in the total opposite fashion. It is said that they loved that which was evil. They began to create their own justice, rooted in comfort. They approved a for they approved coveting of each other's lands and essentially the breaking of the law itself. They were approving. What was occurring during this time was the fact that these rulers were working with the land barons that we saw last week in chapter two. We see it in verse eleven. As it tells us that the rulers ruled favorably according to a bribe. They were receiving money. That greed that was informing those land barons that were stealing the land is now the same very greed that leads these rulers. Just to get an idea of these rulers that they are citing, these land barons they are citing with, Micah 2:1, goes, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. What does that mean? These men, these land barons that they were working with now were those who couldn't sleep at night. They couldn't rest at night. As they laid in their bed, all they could think about was, who am I going to scam next? How am I going to scam them? And how am I going to uh, pay off the prophets? How am I going to pay off the, 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 the rulers of this time? Their minds were constantly evil. Their minds could not shut down for a moment because all they could think about was, How am I going to cheat the next person? How am I going to deceive the next person? How am I going to steal their land? And these were the men that these rulers were protecting. These are the men in which they were in cahoots with, in which they were in partnership with. They were protecting those that were evil. They were protecting those that were cheating. They were protecting those that were providing injustice. They were protecting those that were breaking the law. How often do we see such ethics in our world today, such ethics in churches today, when the evil one is protected, while the vulnerable and the weak have been called to apologize instead? They've been called to not be divisive, though we should not be divisive, but they have been called to not be divisive because they bring up such charges. And they face rulings against them when they are the victim themselves and the ruler judges and rules against them and in favor of the land barons. We hear such cases in churches today where men in powerful positions are not dealt with because of fear of losing a large donor or fear of losing a large group of people or even the cases of pastors abusing their power it's never dealt with until it's gone so far, and it's covered up. Because why? Because they're men. Because these men are the face of the church. They are the face of this congregation. And to deal with such a person would mean shutting the doors of that church, most likely. This goes beyond church doors, and this can be applied to you all as well, too, as you are salt and light in this world within your own spheres of influence. If you are put in a position of authority, the question must be asked of you, are you seeking the welfare of those you haven't placed over? Are you seeking to be just in all your decisions and actions? Or are you like rulers in which those placed under you are nothing more than a chess piece for your own gain and for your own own, uh, self-pleasure? This is what was happening. These rulers were... Deciding based upon how they were getting paid. Going against those that were vulnerable, those that were being cheated. Notice not just in this section here Micah, but, but also as he speaks to the rulers and as he speaks to the prophets. He speaks of those being oppressed. He designates Micah designates them multiple times as my people, my people, my people. It's personal language that Micah uses here. God is taking such acts against his people personally. There's not some abstract pain, but in their actions against the weak and vulnerable, they are attacking God's people and it grieves the Lord. The act of injustice against the people of God is so sickening. It is so evil that Micah himself uses the imagery of cannibalism as a very act of that which these rulers are doing. The sin of the rulers is atrocious. Injustice is atrocious to our Lord. He cares about justice. He cares about those who are oppressed. And so should we. When people are being cheated, when people are being scammed, and when people are left vulnerable with no help, we should care for such people. This is one of my great concerns is that when we talk about injustice, when we talk about oppression, because we don't want to be associated and affiliated with certain groups of people, and maybe for good reasons, we get to a point where we, again, make excuses, qualify, deny, such injustice against the weak and vulnerable we must be careful that our affiliation does not rule over that which is right and that which is wrong. The Lord has called us to rule in such a way upon the ethics of our Lord, not upon the ethics of our politics, not upon the ethics of our philosophy, but upon the Lord's law and upon the Lord's word alone. That is what we are faithful to. That is what we uphold. It's an ethics of God. It's, it's a justice of God. Don't allow the world to take the word justice from us. It is a Christian word. It is a biblical term. When we allow anyone else to steal it from us, it loses its purpose. It loses its emphasis. Let us care for those who are hurting. Let us care for those who are oppressed. What we will see here is that God, in these rulers he will not hear the cries of them this is the judgment upon these people so just as the rulers would ignore the cries of the oppressed so too will god ignore the cries of the oppressors and these rulers it's interesting to see how quick these evil men seeking to get paid and seeking out of greed and how in a moment in a second they turn and now they are calling out to god when they need him They only want the Lord when they want something from him. They don't desire him when there's calamity. They only desire to be freed from such calamity. God is nothing more than a genie who is to be used for their own self-purpose, for their own benefits. But is this warning even applicable to us today? I say yes. This idea that God turns his face from his people, that God turns his face from his rulers, I think it's applicable to us. We see in Malachi... When the priests complain that God did not answer their prayers, we find out that it's due to their infidelity. In First Peter 3:7, there's a warning to care for and to cherish your wives so that your prayers would not be hindered. Men, taking care of wives is important. We have been placed in a position of authority to lead and to guide our wives. And what we see in, in, in these two things here is that, that, that God will pull back. He will turn his face from us. He will not hear our prayers anymore. And he will not answer our prayers. No longer will you have communion with your Lord. You are left to yourself. But Proverbs twenty-one thirteen is also a reminder that anyone who closes their ears to the cry of the poor, too will call out one day, and he will not be answered. Maybe our prayers in such a way are not answered. Maybe the Lord does not hear our prayers and your prayers due to the very fact of how you have treated others, due to your lack of care for those that are marginalized, due to your promotion of injustice, due to your relationships with others, due to the way you have led your family, due to the way that you have led your wife in such a way that is demeaning to them. That God has turned from you and he no longer communes with you. I say to you today, don't turn to the Lord in this time of need just because you want something from Him, but turn to sit under Him. Turn in true repentance to your God. Repent and come back to Him. And within this kind of horizontal aspect of justice, guys, here's the way God demands that we care about those that are marginalized and hurt and vulnerable and those that have been cheated. We must care for those who are on the outside, those who have no one to stand for them, those who have no one to protect them. I want to lead us to our second kind of horizontal aspect here is that these are the prophets for profit, (laughs) P-R-O-F-I-T. Michael not only calls out the rulers who were to uphold the justice of God, but he calls out the prophet too who have sold out for a profit. Micah tells us that they cry out for peace when they have something to eat. But they declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. They preach for a price and practice divination for money. These false prophets were adjusting their message according to the way in which they were getting paid. If you gave me a lot, I would give you something nice and soft and easy, letting you know hey, it's all good. You're good. You're set. Don't worry. But if you couldn't afford my fee, if you couldn't afford it, you haven't given me enough, I'm going to preach judgment to you. I'm going to give you a word of God that is going to judge you. A word disguised as God, I would say, to judge you. So what was happening here, where is the injustice here? These prophets who are the mouthpieces of God, who are God's spokesmen, should have been calling out the injustice of the barons. They should have been calling out the rulers for what they have done. They were there to protect the people. Instead, they went to the barons, praising them, saying, don't worry, you're good, confirming the sin, using God's words just to support what they were doing. You see, when the rulers failed, when the barons cheated, the rulers should have stepped in and said no. And when the rulers failed, these prophets should have came in with woes against rulers, with woes against these land barons. Should have spoke against them, saying, there's a word from the Lord against you and what you're doing. What you're doing is sin. So these people who have lost everything, The rich weren't helping take care of them with the wealth that they have. Instead, they cheated them. The rulers that were supposed to protect God's law and were supposed to represent this holy law didn't protect them. And the ones who are preaching and teaching were receiving the word from the Lord and teaching the word of the Lord. They too did not protect these men either. In comparison, what Micah does is he looks to himself As the true prophet, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with courage, filled with justice, so that he says that I'm willing to say the hard things, I'm willing to be bold in my message, and I'm willing to preach and to call out sin and evil wherever it existed. He himself cannot be bought out. Micah says, I'm not like those false prophets. I am the true prophet. Yeah, I see Here's the thing is that the word of the Lord should never be tamed ever to suit the current culture because we don't want to offend and we don't want to cause problems. It should never be tamed so as not to offend those sitting in the pews because we are afraid of losing people and they're losing donors. Far too often in churches today, those who have the responsibility of a pulpit have held back from preaching the whole counsel of God. Instead, they speak just as these false prophets did. They speak only of God's patience, only of God's mercy, and only of God's grace. They speak in a way to tickle the ears of those in their pews and those that are sitting before them, not the word of God. But they never speak of the tough things of sin, of judgment, of his wrath. They preach a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit God, and a counterfeit preacher then stands at that It stands in that pulpit preaching these counterfeit teachings. But yet what we see here is that these prophets representing the church, representing the people of God, when they were holding back the whole counsel of God, they were holding back the truth that these oppressors needed to hear. They were withholding the grace of God from these oppressors by not preaching sin to them. They were holding back the mercy of God from these oppressors when they didn't call them to repentance, when they didn't call them to their sins, when they didn't call them to the wrath of God. They hid from these men by not preaching the whole counsel of God, the great gift and the ability to repent and to turn to the Lord. Instead, in leading these men astray, what they was doing was took these men, these rulers, took them by their hands. and They were walking them down the steps to hell itself, leading them away from the truth. Do not believe that by giving a soft message, a half message, that it is loving and it is being kind. In actuality, it's the evilest thing that one can do. It leads others to hell because you don't give them the full truth. You give them a half-truth. They believe they have the full truth. They believe they have the full message. They are never called to turn from their sins. They are never confronted with the evils of their ways. It's the most evil thing that one can do. And it speaks to even beyond the pulpit ministry, but to all who share the Word of God with others. To us who are sitting here this evening, are you giving the full counsel of God as you share the word of God with your friends? As you share the word of God with others before you? Or are you afraid as you hear others speak maybe of, hey, reveling in their sin? Maybe speaking of things that they shouldn't be doing and yet you don't want to because you want comfort. Maybe you're not getting paid like the prophets, but you've sold out for comfort as well. Rick Phillips says this, that we hear it said, you are what you eat. Far more profound is the truth that you are what you hear. Soft preaching makes hard hearts, and hearts hardened by sin will perish under God's wrath. But hard preaching that teaches what we need to hear, whole teaching that presents both deliverance and judgment, mercy and wrath, forgiveness and repentance, leads to soft hearts that receive salvation from the God of truth and love. You guys, the church must stand on truth. The church must call out sin for what sin is. The church must be ready to call out injustice for when injustice is there. I'm not saying we jump in right away and don't think through things. But the church cannot hide back. The church cannot protect the evils. The church cannot protect those who have caused harm. The church must lead in this, unlike these prophets. This is where the prophet Michael declared to the prophet that due to their sinfulness, God would no longer reveal himself nor his words to these prophets anymore. These prophets would be put to shame as they no longer would hear from God. God will be silent to these prophets. Left to their own wits, the prophets will fail to impress their moneyed clients and their public stature will suffer. Through them, the people will experience what Amos had predicted in Amos eight, eleven: a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. That is a great judgment when the Lord is silent and no longer speaks. Oftentimes we see this in liberal churches, when the word of God is not spoken anymore, God's voice is not there. It is not just them turning against God, but it is God's judgment upon them when there's no longer the word being preached there. There's a famine of the word in those churches. And this leads me to my third point, as I want us to deal with some of the vertical aspects that I talked about. As I've dealt with more of the horizontal of we must care for justice, the church must speak out against justice injustice. I want us to deal now with this third aspect, the false worship and the destruction of Zion. In this last portion of Micah 3, the prophecy deals with all parties involved in the oppression of the people, the rulers, the prophets, and the priests. And all of them, what has caused them to sin in such a way is greed, 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 as we see from these three. But yet these men, they say what? It says that they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. They were denying Micah's judgment upon them and Micah's prophecy of the coming judgment upon the people of God due to their sins. These men thought that since we have the temple here and since our God dwells among us here and because of our cultic rituals and because of what we continue to do, he would never let anything happen to us. Unaware of their sins and unaware of them breaking the law, and unaware of them breaking the covenant with their Lord. They assumed and believed that just the presence of the temple was enough to protect them from the enemy. These men thought that their outward rituals, they thought that the temple itself would win God's favor. But here's the reality. Micah went through all their sins first, all of their failures first. What we see is that God sees the heart of man, even before he sees their cultic practices, even before he sees their religious practices. He sees inside out, not outside in. The very action of injustice, and first and foremost for them, was born out of greed. It began in the heart. It was done at a spiritual level. It's the heart that has decided that greed will drive their actions, that greed will drive the way that they rule guys, we need to see that injustice is not just the outward action of man. It's a heart issue, whether it's greed or pride or power that begins in the heart of a man. It's the love of that idol. It's taking the idol upon the heart and living in accordance with what they worship and what they revere. This becomes their life. It begins here. We can't just say outside actions. That isn't just, no, it begins in the heart first. It's not just the outward action of a man. It's a heart issue. This is why the issue for us, guys, it's not a sociological issue. It's it's not that. It's not some philosophical issue that we need to resolve and figure out. It's not even some legislative issue. Guys, it's a worship issue of these men. It's a heart issue of these men. It's a spiritual issue of these men, first and foremost. Injustice exists because worship of God does not. But G.K. Beale says this that what we revere, we resemble, either for ruin or restoration. You become what you worship. It's a distorted, dark version of sanctification where you slowly become more and more like that which you worship and that which you revere and that which you love, that which is born of the heart before it becomes manifested out. This is where I think oftentimes social justice and the talks of it is often mistaken. They think that it's just outward actions. And so they try to figure out many different ways of dealing with it. And they miss the vertical reality of injustice. Oftentimes it can be easy to see the physical acts of injustice around us. But if that's all we think. We miss the point. It begins in the heart. This means that all of us here need to be careful. We need to check our hearts for the idolatries of our hearts. We need to make sure that we destroy such idolatry within us. That idolatry can lead us to look to others, to degrade others, to demean others, to look at others less than what they really are. For us to cheat them, to see how we can get around them. Oftentimes, one of the simpler ways that this occurs as one has it has this idol of his heart, whether it's greed, whatever it is, is that begins to look at people as less than they are. It begins to look at people as less than they are. I was convicted of this story of this homeless man. And he talked about it, and he talked about I don't know his background or his history, but he says one of the most heartbreaking things for him was when someone came up to him and says, "Hey, bum, get a job." And I'm not saying he shouldn't get a job. But but the very aspect of what hurt him was that they called him a bum. They recognized him as this lesser than a human being. It's what he says. he says, I'm a human being. If I can put it to more theological language, it's when the, the idols of our hearts begin to en- encroach upon our hearts where we begin to look at others, not as imago dei, not as image bearers of God. And that always doesn't require outward action. To be right here. Right now, as we look to one, we begin to see them as less than. We begin to see them as below us, beneath us, as not worthy of my time, as not worthy of my place. It begins in your heart before it comes out. This is what these men did. These men thought that just having that temple this false worship that they had of God. They failed in the worship because of the sin of their lives is what they were really worshiping. But we see similar things in 1 Samuel 4. People began to live in sin, and they thought the Ark of the Covenant would be what would bring them victory, and they were losing in battle because of their sins, because they're breaking the covenant. And so they're like, go get the Ark, because it keeps allowing us to win battles, and they bring the Ark, and they get destroyed, and they lose the Ark at the same time. These same men, they were placing their hopes in a form of idolatry and thinking that the temple itself and thinking that the cultic rituals is what God wanted. They trusted that instead of trusting in the Lord, instead of walking in his ways, instead of trusting in his covenant. This was the mindset of these people. You guys, we have to see this vertical reality when we start to think of injustice, oppression, whatever it is. It begins in the heart. And though I'm not saying we don't go and we don't seek legislative issues, I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying we be salt and light to this. I'm not saying don't be salt and light to this. I'm saying this, this that you cannot place your hope in those things. It is only when we return worship of God that true justice is being brought back. Micah ends... And telling the people that because of you, these leaders, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins and the mountains of the house, the wooded heights. Judgment is coming. My God, telling them. You may say it's not, but it's coming. But the whole nation, before it was these individuals or these groups of people that judgment was on. But now it's to the whole nation. Guys, here's the truth. Is that where the leaders go... So often do the people go. We see that so often in the Old Testament. The sins of the leadership put all the people of God in danger of his wrath and judgment. It's also possible as as this new ethics is introduced and as these people are living in such a way contrary to the Lord, that people too begin to turn away from the ways of the Lord and to turn to the ways of the world. But we have good news. We have good news that we have a leader. We have a prophet, a priest, and a king who leads his people to life. A leader who leads his people with true justice. A leader who does not fail his people ever. And a leader who saves his people. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. We are under him and not these rulers anymore. He is our head. He is our representative. And he never fails. We Do not need to fear such judgment. And it is good news for those also who are hurting and those who may feel and have been uh, oppressed and those who have maybe injustice has been done to you. Your Lord is coming. But he comes back the second time as judge and justice, final justice, will be given. Let's pray. Okay, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to be together, to worship you, Lord. And even as we look at tough passages, even as we look at things such as justice and injustice, Lord, and oppression, Lord, and these are tough things to talk about, Lord. Lord, remind us to turn to you. Remind us to not allow the world to hijack this term to mean something else, Lord, but may it all bring glory to you and you alone.